Let's get in the text. Stand to our feet. Turn to Nehemiah 5. Y'all know we in our series. We're still in our series. Nehemiah. <clears throat> We're in chapter 5, verse 14 through 19. When you get there, say amen. Amen, amen, amen. It says, moreover, from that time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the, uh, to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor uh, my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because I fear the God, uh, uh, because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and I acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, uh, now what we, um, I'm sorry, now, uh, now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds in every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet, for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on the people. Remember me, or remember my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. You may be seated. This is, a, this is an interesting passage of Scripture. I know y'all are like, what are we going to extract from this today? Um, it is, it's a lot of rich stuff in here, a lot of really, really rich stuff. It, it, one of the things that I, I've become more and more a firm believer of is, is in 2 Timothy chapter two verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, where it talks about all, all the, the, the Word of God is, uh, is breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine. One of the things I'm learning as I study the Word of God is there's something everywhere. Somebody ought to, somebody ought to say that back. There's something Everywhere in the Word. Yeah, I'm, I'm just about to tell you, it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff uh, 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 tucked into the Scriptures. And, and, and the subject matter that we've been going through as we've been going line by line, precept upon precept through the book of Nehemiah, is we've been going through this idea of rebuilt to build. And we've been talking about this second temple period by which the people of God... Um, have been uh, in captivity and now taken out of captivity, and then God is giving them an opportunity to re-represent his reign as, in the model city to be a city within the city. And we found out that a city is not merely a place, but it's a people based on Jesus' uh, construct of that in Ma uh, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we, we saw that he said, you are a city on a hill. So a city is a people, not necessarily a place. And so now we see this representation uh, uh, in, in its OT format or in Tanakh laying it out for us, for us to get an understanding of this philosophy of life. This, today's sermon is kind of going to uh, remind me of something interesting of my, of my life growing up. My mother, I can remember at, at, at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, 
uh, um, um, she, she would wake up in the morning when I was a very, very little boy, and she'd make my lunch and do all of these different things. She'd iron the clothes, and then she would be out to work by 5.30, 6 o'clock. And, and, and she'd be gone all day working, and she'd get home by, by, by 7. Dinner would be done by the time she got home. And she did that for years and years and years and years. Now, when you're young, you don't really appreciate what that means. You just know you, you like, I'm getting benefits on this. So when I wake my, iron, my clothes ironed, even though later she started kicking me to make sure I iron my own clothes and fix my own lunch. But, but, but there was a period of time in which I, I couldn't wrap my mind behind some of the sacrifices that my mother had made in order for me to be able to get my education. She worked extra hours for the U.S. government in Washington, D.C. at the General Accounting Office, and she would work overtime sometimes to 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night to make sure that I got out of the hard neighborhood that we was in and able to go to a school in another neighborhood. My dad was a Buffalo soldier in World War II. Um, World War II, if you know Buffalo soldiers, they were grunts. They were cats that was on the ground. They carried mortars on their back. They carried um, very, very small handguns. They carried everything on their back. Um, there was a pill when they ran out of water that they would urinate in and drop a pill in there to change it up and to drink it. And they were doing all of this in able um, to, 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 to sacrifice for the survival of others. And, 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 I, and I believe today that this text relates to all of that because, because one of the things that, that I think we um, need to learn in our time period, in our generation, in, in, our, uh, in our sector of life is how to surrender our rights. How to surrender our rights. Uh, many, many times we, we walk in such a, a, a passion for our rights uh, um, um, that, that we forget about sometimes the rights that we express, how much it can impact other people. Wish I had some help right there, but it's quiet. Let, let, me, let me see if I can make it plain. Uh, surrendered rights is, is this. Surrendered rights is the willingness to forego God-given freedoms that are not mandatory in order to use the relinquishing of those rights to benefit others and the glory of God instead of yourself. I might want to read that again. Should I read it again? Uh, surrendered rights is the willingness to forego God-given freedoms that are not mandatory to use. Did you get that? In order to use the relinquishing of those rights to benefit others and the glory of God instead of yourself. So, so if, I could, if I could just give this sermon a topic title today, uh, I want to talk about rebuilt through surrendered rights. Rebuilt through surrendered rights. This text comes in a, in a very, very interesting place in the scriptures because last week, as we know, there was a self-induced uh, famine in this context because they were going through uh, uh, urban renewal and some regentrification of Jerusalem and Judea. And, 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 and as we began to look, as we began, uh, uh, Judah, Judah, rather, and as we began to look through here, we saw that there was a famine that happened, not because God was judging the people, um, but, but it was because of urban crowding and resources were low, but amount of people that was in the context was high. And so we come to this text and we see that this, this idea of the surrendering of rights. 
in this passage through Nehemiah, who is looking at ways in which to make sure the mission of God gets done, but without it being at the expense of the people of God that it's supposed to benefit. So, 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 so in order to make this come more clear, we, this brings me to my first point, and I am going to get my points today, Pastor Kurt, because um, I got to get y'all these points today. I know I usually forget to get y'all my points and just walk the text. So here we go. Um, 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 number one, if you're going to be rebuilt through surrendered rights, first thing you must know do is surrendered rights begins with a denial of entitlement. Surrendered rights begins with a denial of entitlement. Look at verse 14. It says, moreover, from the time that I was appointed, this joint is crazy, man, to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governments, governors. Now, you got to understand what, what he's saying here is, is basically as, as governor of Judah, appointed by Artaxerxes, the king of Persia and over the Persian Empire, Nehemiah had the right to add a tax. He had the right to say, okay, uh, uh, you, you got the Persian tax, you got the, the normal tax that you pay here, but also I am going to add a tax for my salary and for my food. Now, you got to understand, he had, a, 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 I mean, he had an entourage of about 150 cats, all right? So that means he, he was going to raise their salaries through the people, tax them real hard, and be able to, and, but they also in their package because they had packages like we got today. So they took care of their crib, and that's why he got all exercises to take care of it. But then it was also food allowances that they were able to have. And so the people had been used to going through leadership that, that, that was, that, that was, that was brut brutally taking from them rather than looking out for their good. And so because he knew the effect that it was having on the people, instead of exacting his rights, Nehemiah did something powerful. He did something beautiful. He says, I, I have in my mind that it's more important for what God wants to do in your life to be exalted than my personal preferences and my personal desires to be exalted. In, 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 in other words, he said, I'm going to put some stuff on the, on the afterburner and the backburner, even though I have a right to get them from you, but me exacting my right to get them from you, guess what it'll be? It will actually uh, affect your disposition before the Lord and your disposition towards his mission and your ability to help it. And because of that, we won't take our food allowances. How many of us in our society deny our rights? How many, of, how many of us deny what we are asked to, uh, that, that we feel like we don't have to give to anybody else? And, some, and sometimes there needs to be in our walk with Christ. There needs to be in our lives a willingness to say, I know that I, I have the right to ask for that particular thing. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to forego that particular thing in order to do something. I, I mean, I mean one, of the, one of the things that's been important to me in, in, in my ministry as a, as a pastor is, is as we were planting Epiphany Fellowship, one of the things that was very, very important to us was the view that people would have uh, 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 of the church. Because this, many people in this generation hate churches and they think pastors are all after loot. So what we had to do for about a year or two is, is, and I think we did it to a fault, is we didn't talk about money at all. Now, that doesn't mean I'm about to talk about it today, but I'm giving you this as, a, as an example. Is we didn't talk about money at all. We didn't even do an offering 
for pre, pre, uh, pre-launch because we knew that so many people, whether believer or unbeliever, had experience, had bad, extremely, extremely bad experiences, non-redemptive biblical experiences with people being spiritually raped financially by the church. And so instead of just saying, well, God said it, I believe it, and let's do it. You know what I'm saying? We was like, yo, let's fall back for a little something, something, and as God develops a view of him, a rich understanding of him, what we're going to do is then we'll begin introducing those aspects of things um, to people. As a matter of fact, my salary wasn't even, um, my, 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 finance, my salary wasn't even paid by the church and still isn't, to be honest. Um, I, I raised it from the outside so that I wouldn't burden the congregation with asking the congregation for something. In other words, there, 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 was, there, there, was, a, um, there was a desire to make sure that people hear God's mission and see God clearly before rights can actually be exacted. Let me see if I can get some help with this because y'all are real quiet on me. Um, Paul, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 12, he says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. It's a beautiful verse. It's a beautiful verse. In in other words, our lives, and this applies to every Christian, our lives are supposed to be set up as tabernacles for God's glory. Let let me say that again. Our lives are supposed to be set up as tabernacles. That means that whatever is in your life that can be an obstacle to somebody seeing God clearly, even though I have a right to execute that particular thing, I want to fall back from it. Oh, oh, it's real quiet in here. Because, because know why? Because most of us are rights-oriented Christians. We're an activist generation, a social ju- get-stuff-done group of people. But, but what God wants you to begin to do is he wants you to begin, all of us, to begin to say, God, what in my life is an obstacle to people seeing Jesus? And am I willing to do without a legitimate right in order to see you honored and glorified and praised? Are y'all still looking at me funny? Let's get another verse for this. Um, 1 Corinthians, this, this joint here is booming. I'm going to read it in both the ESV and the New Living. It says in 1 Corinthians 6.3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no one, or, or, so, so that no one will f- may find fault with our ministry. He, uh, New Living Translation says, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us, and no one will find fault with our ministry. I like that. So, so, so there's an importance to us surrendering our rights as believers. We have a right to a bunch of things in our life. We got, have a right to choose where we live. We have a right to choose what particular area of life we execute different rights in. But God is asking us, what, how important is you to my, are, are you to you or is, is my glory more important to you? Is my glory more important than your personal preferences? 2 Thessalonians 3.8 says, Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be uh, burdened to, you, to any of you. Paul says, since y'all lazy and don't work, that's what he was saying to the Thessalonians. He said, I got a job so that I can show you what it looks like to work. Wow. So, 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 when, so you, your life, God has set up the Christian's life to be life lessons to people. 
That, that your, your life is set up to be life lessons. That, that, that means that your life of living is a disciple-making portrait. Your, your, your life is a disciple. So, so your life, you must begin to ask God to help you to live out the Christian life in HD and 3D. That's, that's what you got to begin asking God. You got to upgrade your, your, your glory format, if, if you will. You got to get off tube television reflection, and you got to get on Blu-ray reflection. I wish I had some help right there. Because many of us in our lives are on a black and white old school TV with, uh, with a, uh, you know what I'm saying, with, with a hanger in it. I know y'all don't know nothing about that. With some Reynolds wrap all on it and some pliers to change the channel. And God is saying, that's old school Christianity in the sense of it being dated and how you show me off. That was good for that time, but now I've upgraded the ability for me to be seen in your life, and now it's time to surrender my, your rights to show me off. That's, that's what he's telling us to do. That's, that's what he wants us to do. And that's what Nehemiah did in his text. But, but nobody did it better than the king of kings himself. Nobody did it better than Jesus. I mean, I mean the stuff he forewent for us rocks me. All right, I'm going to just read a passage because y'all don't believe me still. J- Jesus in the incarnation in Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through three, 13, it says, Let each of you look not only at his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus, who though, um, though he uh, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he knew he was God, but he didn't have to show it off at the particular time in his incarnation. But emptied himself, meaning denying the rights to his deity. Uh, um, it, 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 it says, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in a human form, humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Beautiful. So we see that Jesus ultimately was the one that did not. I mean, I don't, I don't see how Jesus did it, to be honest. I, I don't. Because if I had all that power down here, I mean, I, I just wouldn't. Ha- I mean, it's just a lot of stuff I, I just wouldn't have done. Like, I wouldn't have washed because I would have just said, and then we go, like that. If I needed a haircut, if I say, how I want my hair done today? Do I want a hot top fade like Kid and Play had back in the day? You know, do I want the baldy joint? You know what I'm saying? Do I want it faded? I go, I'll just be like this in the mirror. Ha <laughs> ha. And then, I, you know, I'm doing all like that. I mean, I would have been doing some wild out stuff. And when somebody was getting on my nerves and they were talking too much, I'd go, shut up. And then their mouth would be closed. They'd be like, mm, mm, mm. I mean, I would have I used some rights. You know, somebody got on my nerves. I did like this. A rock would come out of the ground. they trip up, fall on their face. I mean, I'd do crazy. But see, that's why I'm not Jesus, right? Right, right, right. But I'd have done some messed up stuff to folk. Um, but Jesus Christ. We got on his nerves, not just in the flesh, but we got on his nerves spiritually, and he put up with us for 33 years. And he denied the right to send us to hell. He denied the right to send us to hell to relinquish his rights to his deity for a season to put us in a redeemed position before God. That's the greatest example in Scripture of anybody denying their rights in order for the exaltation and the ministry of others, but ultimately not anthropocentrically, but to glorify the living God. And so, and so, and so Nehemiah begins going down in the passage, and he said, he said, the former governors, we're still on the same point, he said, the former governors in verse 15, 
He said, the former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took uh, from them for their daily rations 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. This is interesting because this concept of lording it over is, is a massive biblical concept. In the Hebrew here, the word lorded it over means to have power over, to exert force, to dominate, to overpower, to get the upper hand. One form of the word means to rape. It means to have authority over another and use full force and the exertion of full rights based on man to get what you want out of them. So Nehemiah said, I forewent that. But Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42 and 43 says, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be a servant. Now, what does that open the door for us biblically to, through to get some practical applications on what it looks like to, 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 to come out of a, of, of, of a philosophy of entitlement? Um, um, I call it servant leadership. Say servant leadership. The, the principle of servant leadership in this passage is beautiful because, because ultimately we see it in Jesus and we see Nehemiah, Nehemiah being a typological picture of Jesus. But these are some great principles that, that, I, that, I'll, that I'll begin to lay out based on this passage and many others about the principle of servant leadership. Servant leadership here is good leadership that motivates and mobilizes others to accomplish a task or to think with creativity, vision, integrity, and skill for the benefit of the glory of God. Servant leadership serves others by investing in their development and well-being for the benefit of the common good. That's good. That's good. That's good. So servant leadership serves others by investing, say investing, in their development and well-being for the benefit of the common good. That, that, that's what we need to become. We need to learn the, the, how, to, how to shape our lives to be servant leaders. Husbands, you need to know how to deny your rights. I'm going to make it real plain right now. Oh, it got real quiet, but I know we ain't got no, too many husbands in here today. But I'm going to talk to y'all about that because some of y'all need some pre-husband discipleship before you become a husband so that when you become a husband, you don't be as much of a jerk as you are now. Amen, somebody. All right? Because so, you know we jerks. Oh, raise your hand, jerks. I'm going to raise my hand. Oh, you ain't no, yes, you are. Every one of y'all are. Every dude in the building is a jerk. That's why we need Jesus to jerk us out of our jerkdom, all right? So, 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 so what, what begins to happen is that, is that there will be times in your marriage where you, listen, will have to forego your rights. Oh, oh, oh let, me, let me see if I can make it plain. I remember my wife was sick and could not be intimate for nine months. Now, I had a right, based on 1 Corinthians 7, to say, well, you know, hey, you know, the body, your body ain't yours. You know what I'm saying? Get, you know, go like this. But that probably won't make for good intimacy, saying your body ain't yours. Come here, right? That probably wouldn't work. I'm just trying, I'm just, I'm just trying to get y'all some help, you know what I'm saying, before you get married. And so, and so I had to basically pray and vent to God during that time 
and not use any illegitimate outlets to, 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 in other words, to tide me over, but really mess me up so that when God opened my wife back up to me, that I wouldn't be able to give myself to her. Why? Because I've used another outlet that she was supposed to be an outlet for. But when you deny your rights, God will meet you in it. See, 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 when you begin to say, when you begin to say, you know, Lord, for your glory and for your honor and for your praise, I'm going to back up from some things. And I, 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 I mean, Lord, now I, I'm struggling. Now, now, this is the thing about it. See, I'm real with God when I told some of y'all to y'all got holy language. Right. But I, I say, God, you know what? I'm struggling like a mug. You know, I'm struggling, 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 struggling. But I say, God. I, 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 I mean, I know that doing things not your way doesn't work, so I just need your help. So if you're going to call me to deny myself and my rights for your glory, I need divine assistance to remain faithful to you and faithful to your mission to be able to show you all. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, some power came. I wish I had some help. Some power came. Listen, whenever you deny your rights, denying your rights is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. So it's, it's a deep, 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 deep act of faith. Dude was like, get the women now. I wanted to get y'all first. But servant leadership is a powerful principle because most people think of servant leadership as weak. Servant leadership is not simply doing menial tasks, nor does it serve a strategy to satisfy the leader's own needs. Servant leaders invest themselves in enabling others to be their best. See, when you deny your rights, it earns credibility. It doesn't earn credibility with God because you can't earn nothing with God, but you do earn with men. Why? Because trust, listen, let me, let me tell you something about this. Trust, trust Trust, trust of men is earned. Trust with God is not earned. So when you lose trust, you, it takes a long time to develop trust, but it takes a moment to lose it. And so, and so when you become a servant leader, you, you become passionate about this reality. So there are a few, few more principles on servant leadership before we go to the next point. First point of, of, of servant leadership is listening. <laughs> listening. Uh, James chapter 1 Verses 19 talks about that. Be slow to speak. <laughs> In other words, slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to what? Listen. See, if Nehemiah didn't listen in this passage to the needs of people, he would have exacted his rights. But instead of exacting his rights, he fell back, listened, and then adjusted based on that because he knew how to lead. So listening is the ability to listen effectively and to motivate people to pay close attention. Empathy. Empathy. That's Romans chapter 12, verses 8 through the end of the chapter. That whole chapter is almost about empathy. And, and, and this is a keen awareness and understanding of the feelings of others along with an ability to feel how the other person is feeling. I can keep going. Awareness, uh, per persuasion, conceptual. Oh, I can keep going, but, but, but I, I, I got to move. Next point, next point, next point. Uh, this is the first service. I got a short amount of time. Second point is under surrendered rights. Surrendered rights is motivated by our view of God. Surrendered rights is motivated by our view of God. Look, look, at, look at verse, look, look at ver the end of verse 15. He says, it, it says, even there... Servants lorded it over the people. But check it out. He says, but in contrast, I did not do so because I 
had fear of the Lord or fear of God. We, we talk about this concept of fear of God and of standing in awe of the reality of God, but I, I want to I br- uh, broaden our philosophy of that even more. The fear of God or the fear of the Lord is an expression in reverential submission to the will of God. That means the characteristic of true worship. The fear of the Lord is the foundation, of course, for wisdom, as we talked about uh, a, a few weeks ago. It's not a mere beginner step, but it's the whole process of what it means to walk in submission to the Lord. And it being an act of worship, you must see there's a surrendering of your rights as an act of submission and fear of God. That means everything in your life, everything in your life, remember we said it based on Romans 8.29, is booby trap for you to like Jesus. So everything also in your life is laid out to help you to honor and reflect the Lord in how you say, you ask yourself, how does God view this particular situation that I'm in? How does God view my heart disposition in this particular situation? In other words, Nehemiah said, the reason why I surrendered my rights wasn't so I can make a political move to get something from people. That, that's, not what, that's not what he was doing. He said, the, the, the motivation is I fear God. Okay, let me see if I can make it plain. Joseph had an older woman trying to give him some in Genesis. He, he didn't say, well, you know, I want to remain a virgin until I get married. He didn't use that. He didn't use, he didn't use, uh, I didn't want an STD. He didn't use none of that. Guess what he said? He said, I did this because of God. Whenever someone, someone I remember in one place, some guy said, do you not fear God? Not scared. It's not, the, the idea of fear of God is not scared of consequences. But it means respecting the lordship of God in your life. That, that, that's what the fear of the Lord means. The fear of the Lord doesn't mean, oh, something's going to happen bad like karma, right? Even though you sow what you reap and all of that. But that's not the motivation for the fear of God. When you fear God, you want intimate fellowship and connection with him. And you don't want anything in your life to barricade that sense of his presence in your life. Oh, my God, but I don't have no people that want God's presence, but I'm up here by myself. But I'm just trying to say that when you want God in your life and when you want God's presence in your life, you're meticulous in your life about repenting of sin and wondering whether or not what's happening right now is for his glory. And when it's not, you say, God, I'm sorry. And you confess it and say, God, help me to fear you more. I want, the real, I want to stand in all the reality of you in my life. I don't want anything to get in the way of our relationship. When you feel that way, it's easy to surrender rights when you know you have God, whether or not you have the rights or not. It becomes easier then. The more intimate your relationship with God is, the easier it is to make sacrifices. It doesn't stop the pain of the sacrifice, but it makes your willingness painless. <laughs> I forgot it. <laughs> but but, but, but what, we, what we need to begin to do is we must be tabernacles of fear. Be, be, because, because fearing God, will, I mean, if, if we learn the secret of fear in reverence, when you have intimacy with God, it makes, it makes everything come together more clearly. And when you get out of that, what's good about it is you can repent of it <laughs> and turn right back towards him 
And guess what? Some of us are, I didn't mean to say this today, but some of us are hiding from God. But listen, when you confess and deal with your issue before God, listen, when you ignore sin, it doesn't make intimacy better. It makes it worse. But what you have to do is confess it, deal with it, repent of it, and, and guess what? God will flood your soul with peace. Because when you carry sin on your own, you don't fear God, you reverence yourself. You like appearances. I didn't mean to say that today. But, but what God wants to do is God is ready right now to meet you right where you don't fear him the most. Ah. Last point, and I'm out of your way. Surrendered rights takes hold of the big picture. Surrendered rights, it takes hold, it, it takes hold of the big picture. It, it recognizes that life is bigger than me. <laughs> life is bigger than me. The kingdom is bigger than me. The church is bigger than me. The community is bigger than me, right? Look at Nehemiah in the verses. Verses, uh, look at verse, we're in the text, verse 16, right? It says, and I persuaded, I was, uh, I'm sorry, I persevered in the work on this wall. I like that. <laughs> he, 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 said, he said, when I surrendered my rights, I worked hard. I like that. Perseverance means consistency in the midst of adversity. Let me say that again. Perseverance means consistency in the midst of adversity. And we acquired no land. I like that. He said, I ain't buy no property, even though the property value was dropping in the neighborhood. He said, I didn't buy property because I wanted to set the people up there to buy the property. That's a whole nother sermon. And he says, all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men. Dang. Can you imagine having a dinner table with 150 cats? You ever seen like one of them cartoons or TV shows with, with a table real long and it's just two people, they sit there with this end and one sit at the other end? That's like the most non-intimate thing I've ever seen in my life, right? But, but can you imagine, at a table didn't mean literally a table, it means he had a banquet hall and every day he had 150 people at a banquet. Now check out what he did. He said, Jews, you got to look at what he did. He said, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. So, basically, Nehemiah was doing three things. Under this, surrendered rights takes hold of the big picture. There are three things I want to say about this. You, you'll see the big picture in kingdom development, number one. Number two, in engagement of the loss. And number three, in seeking the Lord's favor. Let's look at right now, um, let's look at right now the first one in the development of the kingdom. When he says he persevered in the, in the work, he saw the big picture. So because he wanted to make sure that the people of God were set up to be a city within a city, they began, he, he, he surrendered his rights and he wanted to see the benefit of it on a larger level because he said, my life is not about my life. My life is about the glory of God and the development of others. That's something we have to adopt. And it's interesting that he said he persevered in that philosophy of life. Many of us persevere in personal benefit, but we don't persevere in kingdom benefit. And so what has to happen is our kingdom must, we must expand from a kingdom of me to a kingdom of he. Let, let me say that again. We, we, must, we must expand our philosophy of life from a kingdom of me to a kingdom of he. And when that begins to happen, it, it begins, you get energy from you didn't know where. Right, right, right. And so, and so, and so the, in, in other words, kingdom development. But number two, in engagement of lost people. He says, besides those uh, who came to us from the nations that were around us. So he had 150 people at his table that was his boys, that was his entourage of people who helped him to run Judah, right? 
Ju- uh, 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 and really the, the whole land of Israel. Help them, to, help them to run it, right? But then it says, besides those, there were people from other nations. Now, if you have people from other nations at your table, that means that you're an ambassador. And what that means is the New Testament principle for, um, for, for functioning in this way is what I would call hospitality. Say hospitality. Now, hospitality in the, in the Greek means a friend of strangers. A, a friend of, it literally means a friend of strangers. Now, there are two ways in which the word hospitality is used in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 12, uh, around the eighth verse, it uses it, I believe it's the eighth verse, it uses it in, 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 um, in, in, in an idea of hospitality towards Christians. But in Hebrews, it says, be careful um, and show hospitality for you. May, some have entertained angels being unaware. In other words, being a friend of strangers means you use it as a format for common ground to share Jesus with people who wouldn't normally hear it. Listen, Nehemiah was utilizing his own personal resources, we'll see that in a second, uh, to facilitate this daily banquet out of his own pocket in order to minister to God's people, but also to minister to the lost. Why? Because what, 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 he began to hap- what he began to think through biblically is Israel was always set up to be a missionary entity. They were always shown all, they were, all, they were supposed to be an example of what it looked like when God gets to a people and they reflect his glory, and it was to be an attractional ministry uh, by which people who were not God's people came close and they saw the beauty of God in the life of the people of God based on their interaction with God, one another, and them. So when we talk about this idea of missional hospitality, we must walk in this philosophy. This is furthermore, I know y'all like, Pastor, y'all challenge, you challenge us every week on something new. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you go somewhere and you feel good all the time, you ne- we need to be challenged. We got to be shaken because we got more than enough. We got more than enough. I mean, we got, and so, and so what I'm saying to us is we need to begin, I, 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 I want to get you while you're right here, but God wants to get you, and this is, the student, this is the student service. God wants to get you even more right now because right now is where your values are shaped. Your values that are shaped for the rest of your life. When you're between the ages of 18 and 22, your values are being shaped. And when those values are being shaped and and, and developed, you begin to live out those values for a very, very long time. So my goal, based on the scriptures, is to help insert you with gospel-centered values. When you get inserted with gospel-centered values, you're wrecked for the rest of your life. As a matter of fact, I was praying for my sons last night, and 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 and, and I was praying this morning, and I was like, I don't know why this thought came to my mind. Um, um, that, that maybe my wife and I die something, and I'd have to leave them with someone. And I don't know. And I was like, who are we? I know we family, but, and you know, I know what I asked myself the question of. I said, God, ruin my sons with the gospel so that if I die, help us to pour out our lives and ruin them with Jesus so that if something happened to us, they'll never forget it. And no matter what type of people raising them, no matter where they are, they're in your hands, but ruin them with Christ. That's my prayer for us, is that God would ruin us with him, that we would ever be cursed with the philosophy of life that's really a blessing, <laughs> that, that says give your life away instead of taking your life. And, 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 and that's, what, that's what it means to have a hospitality philosophy, is you begin to say, God, I want to crack open my life and give it away to others, God. I don't just want to think about my benefit, but I want to think about yours. But then finally, 
We, we see the big picture finally in seeking the Lord's favor. He says, remember my good. This, this is an interesting prayer that Nehemiah prays. And he, prayed it, he prays it a couple of times in the book. He says, remember my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. This is interesting. Even though Nehemiah knew how to uh, give a definite, a definite action and exert courageous leadership, his dependence ultimately was on God. That's what this prayer is about. Nothing must be done to thwart the plan of God for his people. Nehemiah's action was thus motivated by spirituality and was not done for pure humanitarian reasons. So therefore, the invocation of God's favor here in this passage is not so much a plea for a reward as an emphatic way of claiming that he had acted in good faith and from right motives. It is a statement of confidence that God is judge. It's beautiful. And, ju- and judges favorably those who sincerely seek to do his will. In other words, he's saying, please recognize me as one who is meticulous to trust you and serve you in, a self, in self-sacrificial ways. When you say, Lord, remember me, when, when you make that statement, you're, you're, you're asking God, you say, God, don't, don't forget that I really want to really do things your way. Has your heart ever been in that place where you say, God, I, I, I really want to do things your way? Will you, ne- will you help me to never forget that reality? Will you remember that? Will you, will you help that to be ingrained in me? That, that, I mean, Lord, 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 remember me. Do remember me favorably as you can out resources and blessing because I'm going to use it to your glory and benefit. Can you be that bold? What, can your prayer life be that bold where God, you have a track record with the Lord, where he gets used to seeing you use the resources that are placed in your hands for something bigger than yourself. That's our prayer. That's that's our prayer today, is that Jesus Christ earned for us the favor of God. And he so earned the favor of God that when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and that was when he began to do his miracles. And God entrusted him with more and more and more favor. The Bible says in Luke 2.52, when he was a little kid, he said, Jesus Christ grew in both favor with God and men. And what God began to do is as as, as he grew in that favor, he was entrusted with more and more opportunity to be able to execute it with. I'm not talking about no prosperity doctrine that says every Christian should be rich. But I am preaching that God does a supply beyond our needs. And when he does supply more than our personal needs, it's for the benefit of his glory and others. And so I'm hoping that we become a community and that as, as many of you are in school and as you're going through the, the, the development of earning the favor of man, because, you know, getting a degree is really earning the favor of man. That's all it is. <laughs> uh, when, when you go through those processes of saying, I want to earn man's favor so when he sees this on my resume, he can give me some love. But, 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 when, but, 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 when, but, but this, is, this was dope, though. When, when, when man gives you favor, it's really God opening up a door. <laughs> it's really, and when God opens up a door, even though man seems to be the door, God is the opener. And what he's using it for is he's not using it for you to please man, but he's using it for you to please him and expand his kingdom where he sent you. So don't you ever forget about the Lord, no matter where he sends you. 
If you leave Philly wherever you go or you stay here, and if God gives you stuff, don't you ever forget about the Lord. Recognize that your life is a leveraging point, a leveraging point in the hands of the living God to honor, glorify, and lift his name up. And if you don't get that, you're going to live a sorry existence because there is no existence that's healthy without remembering the Lord. If I forget about God, I'm depressed, I'm frustrated, and I'm hurting unnecessarily. But if I'm going to hurt and be frustrated, I want to be hurt and frustrated fearing the Lord, knowing that he's with me in it. And so as he expands, if we could use that term, your territory, whatever that is, as he expands opportunities, don't you ever forget about him. You re and remember your purpose right when you have the most pride. Because what happens is, is when God opens up opportunities of exaltation, the first one to be thrown through the curb is him. That's why God had to tell Israel, when I put you in the land, don't you forget about me. Because exaltation breeds pride. But humiliation breeds glorification. And so I pray that will be our heart. Father, you are the living God, the God of all creation. And we want our lives to be vehement reflections of your love and your glory. And God, I'm, I'm asking, we, we, we are asking that you, would, that you would help us to have poured out lives, that we would give our lives away, that we would give our lives away. We, we, we want to be people who surrender rights, what we feel like we're entitled to. That's what we want to do, Lord. We want to surrender our rights honor you with them. Lord, will you help that to be a reality in your life? And if somebody doesn't know, you help them repent and turn towards the ultimate one, Jesus, who surrendered his rights for our good. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.